0: Matt Swatzel and Eric Fitzgerald. You have probably heard those names before, but they might not register with you. In fact, I'm positive that they won't register with you. In 2006, Matt was a rookie firefighter. He was driving home from a 24-hour shift at the fire hall, driving on only 30 minutes of sleep. When all of a sudden, he hears the most horrible sound that he had ever heard in his life. He quickly came to realize that he had dozed off at the wheel and caused a horrible accident. Upon getting out of his vehicle, Swatzel rushed over to the other vehicle and found seven-month pregnant June Fitzgerald and her one-year-old daughter, Faith in the wreckage. Eric Fitzgerald, June's husband, rushed to the hospital, finding Faith in a small hospital bed. When he walked in the room, the 19-month-old immediately reached out her arms to him. He picked her up, and she fell asleep in his arms almost instantaneously. And that, with his little girl in his arms, is when he learned that his wife, June, and their unborn child did not survive the accident. I don't think that you nor I know what the next several months after such a life-altering accident really feels like. Some of you may. Some of you have been there. You're walking through that even now. Months, years after. Well, Matt was drowning in guilt and shame. Absolutely drowning. He had signed up to be a firefighter and an EMT to help people in this situation. And now he has found that he was the cause of someone's pain. On top of all that, he was facing severe charges, legal charges for negligence. Eric, on the other hand, was having to navigate his new normalcy of being a widower And a single father, I can't even imagine the sleepless, soul-wrenching nights that he must have lived through. To top it all off, Eric is a pastor, and he felt the scrutiny of a whole congregation on him about how he would respond to such a personal tragedy. I'm sure they didn't mean to add to his burden, but he felt it all the same. You forgive as you have been forgiven. It wasn't an option. If you've been forgiven, then you need to extend that forgiveness. That was the line that caught my attention from Pastor Eric Most as I refamiliarize myself with this new story that happened a number of years ago. Eric forgave Matt in every sense of the word. Not only did Eric show up at Matt's hearing and plead on his behalf, but he also asked for probation and reinstatement when there was a strong case for manslaughter on the table. Two years later, the the two saw each other in their town's grocery store parking lot. When Matt saw Eric, Pastor Eric, approaching him in his truck, All Matt could do was just huddle down in his driver's seat and weep. Pastor Eric opened the door, hugged him, told Matt that he just felt like the Lord was telling him that they needed to be in each other's lives. 17 years later, the two men share a meal together almost every week. They are active in the same local church And they have forged a resilient friendship with each other, few of which I've ever seen in my life. Matt is quick to say that their relationship went from one of mentorship to friendship, and now he likens Pastor Eric to his big brother. But there is still a deep pain on both sides. Matt relayed it best, the one who caused the accident. He said, I can't say that this is a great story And that it has a great ending. It doesn't. It's nasty. It's real. And it's something that I'm going to struggle with for the rest of my life. But it reminds me that there is grace and there is hope and there is good. How powerful. Forgive one another. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been looking at these one another passages in the New Testament where God tells us how we, Christians, ought to live in a community of faith with each other. Last week, we looked at loving one another. Today, we're going to dive into forgiveness. Forgiveness hear these simple yet complicated words from Ephesians 4:32. In fact, will you say them with me? They'll be on the screen. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 32. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Let's say it one more time. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Do you see what I mean when I say that it's simple and yet complicated? Well, right off the bat, as if we need reminding of this, we learn that we are living among other people, even within the holy bond of a local church, you have to understand that you will be wronged. In this place, among these people, you will be wronged. You have been wronged. And you will again be wronged. And with that, we also learn in this passage of Scripture that forgiveness will need to be extended, received, and then lived with. What does it mean to live with forgiveness. It's easy to say, I forgive you. Paul tells us to do so much more than state it. He tells us to forgive one another in the community in which we find ourselves. Why else would Paul direct forgiveness unless hurt would and had been caused there in the church of Ephesus? Here's the thing, forgiveness is central to the teaching of Jesus, but it is often the very thing which his followers struggle most with. Do you agree? You cannot separate Jesus from his sermons, and I do mean plural, sermons on forgiveness. It is at the very core of his teaching. We all know it, we all love that he is a forgiving God, but we all struggle when it comes to Forgiveness of one another. I can almost guarantee you that when some of you saw the sermon art on social media this week, or when you sat down and saw the title on the screen this morning in service, there was at least in some of us a proverbial eye roll. Almost like forgiveness. Here we go again. But you don't understand what he did to me. But you don't, I know I should forgive, but. We probably say things like, I can forgive, but I won't forget. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Maybe if nothing is so drastic as any of those, maybe I'm making you out to be more evil than you are, although I think if we're honest, We're there. It's okay to not lie in church. It's okay. Maybe if you didn't do anything as drastic as that and say those things, if you're anything like me, I can guarantee you that when you hear the topic of forgiveness brought up or you hear a sermon on it, a name immediately flashes to mind. For the next hour or so, less than an hour, you're going to struggle because that name is probably going to sear itself even more in your mind. And you're going to have to ask yourself the question, have I really forgiven that person? Really forgiven them. That's why I say forgiveness is complicated. Every single one of us want our faults to be forgiven, forgotten, and never brought up again, but we still struggle with forgiving in the same way. I say it again, forgiveness is central to the teaching of Jesus. Just hear how blatantly Jesus states it. I'm not going to give you any color commentary on most of these, but he's just going to say forgiveness, forgiveness, forgiveness. And Mark 11:25, 25, Jesus said, Whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, forgive them, that your Father in heaven may also forgive you your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. In Luke 17, 3, he says, Take heed to yourselves. If your brother sins against you, rebuke him. And if he repents, oh, we love the first part of this verse. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in a day, and seven times in a day, he returns to you saying, I repent, you shall forgive him. The Lord's Prayer. We love the Lord's Prayer. Do you realize what we're praying when we pray the Lord's Prayer? In many ways, there may be some in our congregation who are literally praying a curse on their heads when they pray the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. One day Peter was sitting in his own house with Jesus and after the Lord had taught on the topic of forgiveness, Peter asked, a little magnanimously in my opinion, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? You remember Jesus' response? I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Some of you have got your calculators out. Keep on forgiving. Listen to probably his most abrupt teaching on forgiveness. Jesus said, For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And the pinnacle of forgiveness comes to us in Luke 23. When on the cross, Jesus looks down at His persecutors and He says, Father, Forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. If your brain said, yeah, but, to any of those passages of Scripture, will you allow me to be your pastor for a few minutes this morning and boldly say to you, this sermon is for you. Yeah, but, is nowhere found in the teaching of forgiveness. Come on, Corey. You tell us this all the time. You can't just pick a verse of Scripture off the strand. You have to study it in context. Thanks for debating with me this morning. I'm glad I have some feedback. I challenge you, if you think I'm taking the verses on forgiveness out of context, find one place. Just one place In all of scripture, 770,000 words in the Bible, find one place where the Lord tells someone that it's right or even okay, even admissible to not forgive someone. You will not find one. Never. Instead, You will see verse after verse, story after story of intense, lavish, nonsensical forgiveness being lauded. You'll find the story of a king who forgave a servant the equivalent of $3.8 billion dollars. Crazier still, you'll find the story of Joseph in the Old Testament who was plotted against by his brothers, sold into slavery, falsely accused of rape, thrown into prison, forgotten. You'll find this Joseph forgiving every single person who ever wrongs him, and he will return their evil deeds with tangible gifts of love. Yeah, but... They keep wronging me with the same sin. I hear you. I really do. Please understand, this is not just one hypocrite preaching to another hypocrite this morning. I feel the weight of, yeah, but they keep wronging me with this same sin. I certainly don't want to come across as if I figured it all out because the Lord knows it's not true at all. But you're telling me that you've never committed the same sin against God? More than once? More than once a day? More than once an hour? You've never gossiped, caught yourself, confessed, and been forgiven of that sin only to go around the very next day with gossip dripping from your mouth? You've never lusted? Caught yourself, confessed it, and then gone back to lusting within the same hour? Arrogance, hypocrisy, the truth of the matter is that we sin against God in the same way multiple times a day and still we cling to to if we confess our sin, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, and we ought to cling to that verse. If there's one verse in all of Scripture that you need to cling to, it's 1 John 1, 9 i I've got no hope without 1 John 1, nine. But we all sin against God in the same way on the regular. Yeah, but they haven't asked for forgiveness. This is probably when the command to forgive is at its trickiest. Would you agree? This is where it's at its most complex. When someone who has wronged us is either aloof, they don't know that they have sinned against you, which is the case often, or they're antagonistic. They don't care that they've sinned against you. They know it, and they don't care, or they don't know it. Either of those are difficult to navigate. Be careful to not think that you've stumbled into some forgiveness loophole here as if, oh see, I don't have to forgive them since they haven't asked for forgiveness. The principle of Scripture is that always we ought to always stand ready to forgive. But I think you'll find that the act of forgiving someone actually benefits both the one who wronged and the one who has been wronged. Hear me on this. We've talked a lot of, I've talked, you haven't talked. I've talked a lot about forgiveness. Some a few pages in, and I've yet to even define what forgiveness is. And you say, Corey, what are we in, elementary school? We know what forgiveness is. Well, it's important to define it because I think oftentimes in our culture and in our families, every family has a culture, by the way, In our culture and in our families, we have a very unbiblical sense of what forgiveness actually is. Think about it. You've probably never attended a forgiveness class. If you have, I probably need to go with you next time. At your earliest age, mom never said, let me give you the definition of forgiveness. No, mom said, hug and make up, right? Don't kiss and make up. That's just weird. Hug and make up. Forgiveness is rarely defined in our context because we assume, don't we? We assume that everyone knows what forgiveness is. Everyone does. And I submit to you, we do not know what forgiveness is. The word that Paul uses in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, it's the most used Greek word for forgiveness in all of the New Testament. It means to release from bondage. Thus, the chains on the screen. It's a word that is used figuratively. It's used of releasing sails on a ship to let them fly. It's used legally of pardoning someone who has done some illegal act against you and your witness testimony could send them to prison. It's used spiritually that God has lifted the sentence of condemnation upon Christians for their sins through the death of Christ on their behalf and no longer counts them as guilty. That's a good definition because I borrowed it. When the Spirit directs us to forgive one another, I believe He intends a twofold blessing. First and most obvious, forgiveness releases the one who has sinned against you, forgiveness is mainly for the perpetrator for the one who has done wrong. And let me just ask you, have you ever been forgiven? I mean really forgiven. Really. On a human level, with another human being. We've all been forgiven from Christ if you have received that forgiveness. But we've been, you've been pardoned by Christ. But have you received forgiveness on an earthly level from another human being? You said or you did something wrong. You know it. The other person knows it. And so you approach the person that you, to get asked, that you slided. you asked them for forgiveness, and then they granted it to you. What's more is they actually lived it out, and that the next time that you saw them, it was obvious, obvious, that they were making a conscious effort to not bring it up or live in light of that sin that you had done against them any longer. If you have ever felt that kind of forgiveness, You know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, I am so sorry for you. I have. Some years ago, I said some really foolish things as a youth pastor. Shocking, I know. Really foolish things. Stupid things. One of you called me and lovingly, so lovingly confronted me about them. And I confessed. Before we hung up, I don't remember the conversation verbatim, but I said something along the lines of, I'm so sorry because I know that this is going to change the nature of our relationship. And before you hung up, you said, no it won't. Click. The next time I saw that individual, it was obvious with a handshake that turned into a hug. You ever felt one of those? Our relationship, if it had changed, it was only for the better. Real forgiveness. In fact, over the last 12 to 13 years, I think our relationship has only grown. I was released. Set free. To the point that that person who did that might not even remember that I'm talking about them today. And that is the main benefit of forgiveness. That the guilty is pardoned and released. But closely tied to that, forgiveness frees the one who has been wronged. Oh, it does. You know what I mean? I'm sure that we have all known somebody, or perhaps it's just us ourselves, who we've been wronged however severely, however lightly it might be, and that being wronged has since defined everything about who they are. They have let that bitterness, that unforgiveness to control every single aspect of their life. Regardless of whether or not their aggressor was, has asked for forgiveness, whether or not they even feel the weight of their sin against you, you need to forgive them Because it's the only way that you yourself will ever be released from the sin that they committed against you. Do you get that? I feel like I'm missing here this morning. When we forgive, we free the person who wronged us, but we also in many ways free ourselves from not being tethered to bitterness for the rest of our life. Forgiveness frees On June 17, 2015, during a Wednesday evening Bible study very similar to the one that we host here every week at New Hope, a 21-year-old slipped in the back of the sanctuary of South Carolina's Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church. He was welcomed and embraced as a guest, but before the service was over, he opened fire on the praying believers and he killed nine people. I think we all saw the video that went viral seven years ago where at that hearing, any family member of the slain was allowed to address the guilty gunman. The, murderer's, the murdered pastor's son, Dan Simmons Jr., he took the stand and this is what he said. I forgive you. I know that you don't understand that, but God requires me to forgive you. I forgive you. He also requires me to plead and pray for you, and I do that. Understand. That as you have been judged, know that you have an opportunity to ask for forgiveness. Know that you can change your life. Stay focused. I guarantee you, if you choose to serve God, you will live a better life. And Dan wasn't the only one. Person after person, some obviously still very angry, as they should have been. And some just totally broken, as they should have been. They took the stand and almost to the man or woman, they ended their statements with those three words. I forgive you. To the best of my knowledge and looking over the murderer's ongoing testimony, he never asked nor has he yet to ask for forgiveness. But those who extended really and truly forgiveness, they have felt the lifted weight of not allowing bitterness to root in their lives. Another victim's family member stood and said, I wanted to hate you, but my faith tells me no. I wanted to remain angry and bitter, but my view of life won't let me. Forgiveness releases you from the bondage of what sin has been done against you. That's what forgiveness means. But Paul doesn't just restate a command that Jesus gave a dozen or dozen times or so. He actually helps us along with what forgiving each other looks like. In even a casual reading of the text, I think we can all see that while forgiveness is the main point of Ephesians 4.32, it's accompanied by other ways in which we ought to deal with one another. So Ephesians 4.32 reads again, "...and be kind to one another." Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Did you hear that? Kindness and tender-heartedness. Kindness and and tenderheartedness. Really, there's a danger in just zeroing in and focusing on this one verse because there's a lot more at play here in Ephesians chapter 4. The New English translation actually gets us closer to the original intent in its rendering of Ephesians 4.32. And it does so because it doesn't begin, verse 32, with the word and. It begins with instead. It reads, instead... Be kind to one another, compassionate, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. Instead, it shifts in what we were and what we ought to think because verse 31 of Ephesians chapter 4 says, let all bitterness, let all wrath, let all anger, all clamor, all evil speaking be put away with you with all malice. Instead, be kind, tenderhearted, forgiving one another. If you're like me, kindness seems like uh, something a little too petty, to offset, bitterness, rage, slander, hate, oh, just be kind, and that'll diminish the rage that you feel. Mm. Again, that's because we oftentimes have a cheap, oversimplified view of kindness. We have reduced kindness down to helping elderly ladies cross the street. We have made kindness being a good citizen in America. Those concepts aren't wrong. You ought to help elderly women and men across the street. You ought to help everybody across the street. And you ought to be a good citizen. But kindness, if only seen as good citizenship, it is so incomplete. You're missing so much more of what Paul is directing us towards. The word here for kindness doesn't really even invoke mere good deeds. Instead, it presents itself as a way of life. I'm very careful to use this terminology, but it really is the best way to state it. Kindness means that we make ourselves easy to use. When Paul says to be kind to one another, he is in the original language telling us be easy to use for one another i know i know I, I i get unsettled when i talk about the idea of use and people we ought not use anybody people are more than tools and playthings. they are souls but jesus used this exact same greek word that's been translated here as kindness most famously When in Matthew 11, verse 29, He said, take My yoke upon you and learn from Me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for My yoke is easy, kind, and My burden is light. That's ultimate kindness right there. That Jesus would make the difficult aspects of My life easy, easy, It's what we're called to do for each other. So to say it plainly, your life and whatever burden you are bearing ought to be made easier by living in a community of forgiving Christians. You ought to seek solace in the church, not the building, but the people. And that here you will find real forgiveness and here you will find people who will make your life lighter because they are allowing you to lean and use them through this season. This isn't what we do. This isn't that we just do random acts of kindness towards each other. In the context of Ephesians 4, we actually come alongside each other and we bear the load, we bear the weight of sins that we have so easily allowed us to bog us down. And now through forgiving one another, we make this life with all its ups and downs easier easier someone who is kind based upon this passage is one who quickly allows you to use them for support they say call me if you need anything and they mean it and then they're like at your door in an hour none of this not forgiveness not kindness is done begrudgingly or merely out of duty or as a way of investing in your individual future as a, oh, I'll do this for him so that he'll, I'll hold one over on him. No, the Spirit tells us that our attitude when we forgive and when we bear up someone else's weight ought to be one of compassion. Actually, the, King, the new King James has it rendered tender-hearted, which I love. Be kind to one another, Tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God and Christ forgave you. Here's the problem. We don't use the word tender-hearted much today. We speak of tenderness and we talk about a good heart, but tender-hearted, all one word? That ought to be like a, a dashed word, shouldn't it? Anyway, all one word. It probably hasn't crossed your lips this week. Maybe it has, but I doubt it. In the original language, there really isn't even a hint of the word heart here. If you look it up in some reference books, what you'll find is a lot of reference to belly and bowels, which is just strange. In a few weeks, kids are gonna be passing around Valentine's Day cards. Husbands, I am literally giving you one month advance notice. Valentine's Day, one month. It's the 14th, one month. You're like, oh, go ahead and make those reservations. Somewhere on those cards, even among like the Avengers Assemble uh, Valentine's cards, there's going to be a heart somewhere on those cards, much to a lot of like second and third grade boys' chagrin. There's going to be a heart somewhere on there. That's because in our Western minds, the heart is the seat of our emotion. We use words like heartbreak and heartsick. So when the translators came to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, they used the word tender-hearted because we all know what that means. It makes sense for us. But in the first century, the Middle Eastern mind, the gut was the seat of emotion. That's not as romantic, I guess, as the heart. I'm not really sure how the organ that pumps life giving oxygenated blood through your body is romantic, but to say my gut... I love you with all my guts is just not appropriate at all. It'd be strange to get a Valentine's Day card in the shape of a liver or kidney or stomach. But it does make more sense, doesn't it? Not in your stomach? A kick in the gut? This week one of my friends who is quick on the scene of a community tragedy told me he said I am still sick at my stomach from it all. That's what Paul's referencing here that we feel deeply the needs, hurts, joys and pains of others. That we feel the sins of others in our community deeply, not as judgmental but They sin, and oh, we hurt. And not necessarily because they hurt us, but because we know that their sin will hurt them. Be kind. Tender-hearted. Forgiving one another. We feel the hurt. We feel their sin even in us. In fact, Peter reminds us that this is the, the basis for all of this he tells us that jesus himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree that we having died to sins might live for righteousness by whose stripes you are healed now that statement it's more geared towards the theological that jesus took upon our sin even in himself but it also is true relationally for us that he felt our sins so intimately that he took our sins into himself. He felt every sin as if every lash and every nail was our sin. That's the example of what we're called to do and be here. We forgive as Christ forgave. We make ourselves easy to use, accessible to each other as Christ did. We feel deeply of one another's sin as Christ did. None of that. Not one part of it. None of it. Mark it. Not one of what I've talked about or what the Spirit has moved on Paul to write in Ephesians 4.32 will be possible for you unless you live with one another. Church, if we merely commute to this gathering... And if we check in on Sundays and maybe even Wednesdays, thanks for coming on Wednesdays, by the way. But if that's all we do is check in, check out, check in, check out, we will not forgive each other well. We just won't. We will not lift one another's weight well. We will not feel the pain that the other is feeling well. We will only ever continue to be someone who attends the same church, who sits on the same pew, sits in the same Sunday school class. And I am telling you, these one another passages, they cut to the heart of all that. Christ is calling us to so much more as a church the merely attendance but to actually live with one another being kind to one another tender hearted towards one another forgiving one another Ephesians 4:32 let's say it again all together and be kind to one another tender hearted forgiving one another even as god in christ forgave you. If you're longing for forgiveness or struggling to extend it, if you need a brother or a sister to lighten the load, or you feel called to step out of the ordinary and lift someone else's burden, if you feel deeply the weight of sin in your life, and you need another to come alongside you. In just a moment, we're going to sing Search Me, O God, as a congregation. The altar will be open. And someone, right church? Someone will come and pray with you to help lift your burden. Someone will. I'm saying that in faith. That someone will. If there's someone in this room that you need to forgive, don't come here. Go to them. This is not an altar call. This is a life-altering call. This is not come down and make a decision that you won't live the rest of your life. This is go to the person who you've wronged, you haven't spoken for years, there is odds between you and your families. Don't come here. Go to them. that is the most right, biblical, holy thing for you to do. That's the same for if God is moving in your heart to lighten someone's weight or feel their pain more deeply, go to them. But if you find yourself in need of prayer, as we sing, search me, O God, make your way here. And we want to live out one another with You. Will you bow with me? Father, I pray that in the quietness of this moment that You will search us. Father, forgiveness is such a difficult, difficult sermon to preach. But it's at the core of who we are. It's not even a choice. As Pastor Eric reminded us. It's what we've been called. We who've been forgiven must forgive. So Father, I pray both and this morning. I pray for the one who is wrong. and they have not been extended forgiveness. Thanks for listening to New Hope Church's podcast. If you would like to listen to more content from our church, follow us at newhopefwbc.com.